I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you for the delight we have in opening your word, Father, and finding um, the journey of life in your word. And Father, we want to pray that you'll help us discover how to live better for you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I, w- I was reading a, an account this last week um, about something. I don't know if you know how I came to be reading it. And it was about the Titanic and the sinking of the Titanic. And it was a fascinating story. And, and I read the whole story and I came back and I read it over and over again. It was an amazing ship, the Titanic. I don't know if you've, if you've read the story. It was in 1912, so some a little bit before most of us being here today. But, but, um, but I'm sure that, that we've all heard about the Titanic. We've all heard snippets of the stories because our grandparents were around at the sinking of the Titanic, which was a huge event in the day. It was an amazing, an amazing, amazing ship because it was way beyond, way before its time. It was a massive ship. There was a lot of competition on the high seas in those days. And they decided to build the Titanic as not the fastest, because there was a lot of competition to be the fastest ship. And they said, no, 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 we're not going to enter that boat. We're going to be the most luxurious ship that will sail the seas. We'll be the biggest and the most luxurious ship that will sail, sail the high seas. And so they set out to build the Titanic. In fact, they built two ships kind of simultaneously at the time. And you've heard a lot of stories around it. And kind of one of the things that pricked my ears at the time is someone said, not even God can sink this ship. You've heard that story. It wasn't the engineer that said that, by the way. They, they interviewed hundreds of people and, uh, and tried to dig up all the records. It was the media that started to, to spread the stories that this ship is so good. It's so safe. It's so big that even God can't sink it. And so it hit the high seas. But it was an amazing ship, 2,224 people on board, which was, I mean, it's a great number. It's not nearly as big as our big ships today, cruise ships, but it, for its day, it was massive. It was, it, um, it, at, at the time that it hit the iceberg and it sank, 1,517 people drowned in the water. So it was very significant. The, the, the rich and famous were all on the ship. This maiden voyage that paid many millionaires on the ship and people who was who's who in the in the in the public life were on the ship at the time. It was one of the most one of the most publicized occurrences of its of its day. It had a huge they, the, the, the article I was reading said it had an immense dining room, massive dining room. It had many restaurants. It had four elevators in the ship. A swimming pool, a gymnasium, squash court, post office, many, many, many restaurants. So it was a ship way be- be- before its time as it in, in its construction. They said that the second class on this sh- ship, the Titanic, was, were better than the first class on most other liners of the day. That they, and they said the third class wasn't shabby either. So that was, that was where they kind of all the plagues went. So... Those of us who would have been down there would have also had a good time. Down in third class, apparently. They said it wasn't, it wasn't too shabby. It was, its safety features were beyond its time as well. And this is one of the things that they said, it's unthinkable. It's because the safety features that they built into the ship were 
um, way ahead of its time. They had five watertight containers on the ship. In other words, areas that they could close off that if anything happened in the ship, these would keep it afloat, these airtight containers. The only problem is they didn't close the top of them off when the ship would sink. The, com uh, the containers were open at the top, which they should have been closed, of course. But, but they said it, it, the ship can float uh, with four if, if four are breached, it'll sink. Four of these containers are breached. In other words, if two or three are breached, it might still stay afloat. But it was beyond its day as far as safety was concerned. They had 20 lifeboats on the ship. The problem is only 1,700 and something people could, could fit in the lifeboats. But there were 1,178 people. So it, they only had enough place for, for some of the people. And now they worked out who goes in the lifeboats and who just stays behind. Um, I suppose that's a good exercise for a game on a Friday evening or something. So they didn't even have a drill. The day that it sank, that morning, was supposed to be a lifeboat drill on the ship. And it was scheduled. All the passengers would gather in certain places on the ship and they'd be told what would happen if this ship sinks. Well, this ship can't sink. Who wants to do a stupid drill? when this ship can't sink. I mean, that, that was the talk at the time. So they cancelled the drill. And there was chaos when the ship started to sink. Absolute chaos. They said only 60% of the capacity of the lifeboats could actually, were actually full. So that 40% of the people who could have been saved weren't saved. Why did this story capture my imagination so much? Because I saw in this story such a parallel between this ship and us as Christians and the church of Jesus Christ. Such a stark parallel. I mean, we, we basically, we're in it because it's, it's a bit cushy for us. God must come and show up for me so that he can, so that I can have a good time. Now, I'm, a, I'm sure none of us at City Church are like that. But by and large, by and large, that's how people today, humanists think. God is here for me and he's here to to do my bidding when I get him. And so this is going to be a great cruise. So come and follow Jesus and all your, all your blessings will overflow because you give your life to Jesus. Well, it's not like that, as we very well know. Sometimes you'll follow Jesus and get, and get martyred for your faith. And so we need to understand that, that it's, not, it's, not, it's not as the cruise says it would be. And I've actually... I've actually titled it, Come and Let's Have a Great Journey Together. Um, and the, the lifeboat, the whole safety saga, is that we can become so complacent in just carrying the name that not giving credence to his name. We can, we can become complacent as Christians. And in fact, I think it's so easy that we do because if we look at the evangelization that's taking across the world today, the Western church is being left out. It's the church from the East that is evangelizing the, ch the church and the revivals are taking place from the, from the East because they take, they, when they get up in the morning, they get up with Jesus. They don't get up and then kind of take him on board. You know what I'm saying? Eh? And so um, there were two radio operators on the ship and they were receiving iceberg warnings throughout the whole day. 
that David could say. So it depends if you have a small iceberg. And so they would say, uh, yeah, there's an iceberg out starboard, um, one mile. And so they casually hold the crew as we come back again. And there was no one took the iceberg seriously. And so when the call came through, guys, it's desperate. There's an iceberg all along the side of the ship. And it slipped the ship open of the side. And because of that, if they'd, they say they said that if it hit the iceberg head on, it would have most probably survived the, the collision. And so they never took the warning seriously. And so I, I wonder if the times we're entering in, if the Lord isn't saying to us, church, wake up, wake up, wake up. Let's wake up. Shall we do that? Let's, let's pay attention to the times we're living in, the things that are happening around us are not happening just because it's a random thing that's happening. Jesus has warned us that these kind of things will happen. So let's be alert for these times. There was basically three processes that I'll just quickly like to go through. They, there was a process of building the ship. There was a process of putting all of this engineering wonder together, which was an absolute wonder of the day. There was, and then there was the voyage, the actual journey. So when they built the ship, which took ages to build as well, years to build, when they finished building the ship, they said, okay, cruise is open, who's on board? And so that was the second, the second stage. The third stage was the destination, because the destination, the ship left from Southampton to New York, and on the ship were many people that were emigrating. So they were looking for a new life in America, a new start to life in America. God's got a similar process with us. He's got, God's plan is a kingdom. God's got a plan for us that he set in place long ago. I love Daniel's take on it. And I love looking at Daniel because Daniel was a prophet that stretched millennia. It wasn't, just, it wasn't just a week or two or three. It wasn't a prophet standing in front of you who said, I can see. It was someone saying, I can see down the generations what God's going to be. And that's why I love Daniel. That's why, you, I mean, that whole um, uh, dream that he had of the statue or Neb's dream about the statue that, uh, uh, that got shattered. Uh, I mean, it, it applies to us today, that dream. And so the, I love Daniel as a prophet because of that re reason. And Daniel says this about the kingdom of God. He says, the kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation to generation. And so what we're busy with in the, in the, in the, in the church, it doesn't just affect me and my decision. It affects me, my decision, and it affects my children, affects my children's children, affects my children's children's children. I mean, it's bad enough being a great-grandfather. I can't, can't imagine being a great-great-great-grandfather. You know, so so what, what, what happens is that, that when we get engaged in God's kingdom and we understand the depth of God's kingdom, the decisions we make today for God will affect not just us. It's not just for me and mine. It's for us through the generations. And so when God established his kingdom, it was for a permanence. It was for something that would last right through the generations. 
I love that. I love thinking of it like that because it's not just for 2023. It's not just for 2024. It's for, it's for generations to come. So it gives a depth to our faith. It, I, when I look back on my faith, the three generations that precede me were all involved in the ministry. I never knew that when I got involved in the ministry. They were all involved. I knew my dad was. My grandfather was. And my great-grandfather was involved in the ministry. And so they were full-time involved, employed by God for the, for the future. And so I, I say, thank you, Lord, for that heritage. Thank you for that heritage. Thank you that it reaches from generation to generation. And I long for that to be passed on to my grandkids. Not the churchianity, the fake ego, the permanence of who we are, lost through generations. I love that. I love that. I love the, the thought of it. What I love about it as well is the depth. Jesus, his disciples come to Jesus and they say, Lord, why don't you teach us to pray? Which reminds me that prayer is not an automatic thing. The Lord, by his grace, takes his disciples and he says to them, guys, this is the kind of prayers that you can pray. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom, thy rulership, the way that you do things, God, is going to be a copy on earth as it is in heaven. That's my prayer, that it will look like it is in heaven. Our relationships should look like they look in heaven. How God deals with us should look on earth like it looks in heaven. Of course, he says there's some conditions to it. You need to forgive spontaneously. You can't hold a grudge against anybody. You need to be able to walk in the, in the assurance that he's our provider in us so we don't fret about our lives and our sufferings for life but we can go to him and so there's a wonderful fullness of what the kingdom of god looks like and i don't want to labor too too much on that because it's a whole topic on its own which i love but to to just to le leave it there god's plan is for you and i to be seated with him in heavenly places in such a way that it will be seen on earth Then the journey, the ticket, getting the ticket, ticket. Our journey starts, and the journey then started off with being on the manifesto. In other words, on the list of the passengers of the ship, your name is there. Then they say, yes, there's a berth so-and-so for that person. Jesus said, I'll go and prepare, prepare a place for you. And so it's not just we get to heaven and, Lord, I... Where are we? All of us can go and say, Lord, look, here's my place. You said you're going to make it. You're going to build it. Where did you build it? Show me where it is. And it's because God said he's got us in his mind. And so as, as it is on earth, so it will be in heaven. So when I, come, when I reach heaven one day, God, that place that he has promised he will prepare for us will be there. Isn't it great that we know that our name will be on that manifesto? We won't be left behind. We won't be left on the quayside with all our luggage, watching the ship disappear into the distance. It's a kingdom like no other. It's a journey that is available to anybody. 
In other words, they couldn't do that with the Titanic because everybody would have been there. They couldn't put on the highways and the byways. Anybody like to go to, to New York on the Titanic? They would have had people who passes uh, prescribed. People had to pay for their fares. We don't have to. The invitation is open to everybody. The cross of Jesus Christ, when it was erected, it wasn't erected just with you and me in mind. It was erected for all of us. It became personal. When I said, yes, Lord, I recognize the cross for me. I make it personal by choosing you this day. And that's what puts us on the manifesto. That's what puts us on the list for this journey to heaven, as it were. Peter puts it this way. He says, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I love that. It's a general, anybody, everybody, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But from that we should also hear that there's a personal invite. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord. In other words, it's there for anybody, but anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then one of the one of the mind-blowing thoughts that we can have as far as our kingdom mandate is concerned while we're on earth. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. I wonder if I can have someone represent Jesus. I think you can. In the front, I think you can come and represent Jesus for me. Just, just don't get a messianic trumpet. Just sit on one of these chairs. I'm going to read a scripture for you. And God, Ephesians 2 verse 6, it says, and, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. I want to be deliberate as I read this so that we can just get the picture. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. So that's the purpose. He wants us to be seated with him so that in this coming age he can de declare and show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are all God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It looks something like this. When we get saved, Jesus comes and occupies our heart. When he does that, excuse me, when he does that, he says we become seated with Christ in heavenly realms. Who can be a saint? Who'd like to be a saint? Just have a hand. Just one of the, you've just given your life to Christ. You know. So she's got saved. Now she's seated with Christ in heavenly realms. And so what's happening is, so what's happening is that they've got a very personal relationship which was established on earth. Okay? So it was established when they, when they, gave their lives to Christ, when they confessed his name, when they laid down their life, their, their effort of living life on their own, 
they laid that down and they said, Lord, I want to come and I want to surrender my life to you. This is what happens. Ephesians 2, verse 6 tells us that they now are seated together with Christ in heavenly realms. How does that affect how we live? How does that affect our, why is it important that we understand this? It's important from this perspective. Here I sit in a troubled world. Here I sit in a troubled world and I've got a different perspective of life. I'm looking at life from a different perspective entirely. I'm looking at life from a perspective, for instance, with gender confusion. And around me, there's absolute confusion. Things are going crazy around me. So I'm sitting in this craziness, not understanding what God's purpose and plan for all of this. Because I love these people, and I want to love these people. And how do I love these people? And what is right and what is wrong? All this gender dysphoria. And so what happens is when I get seated here, I start to understand what happens because I'm seated with him. God's intention and purpose for us in 1 Corinthians, I've heard Genesis chapter 1 verse 27, I think he says, he said he made mankind in his own image, made them male and female, he made them. When I'm seated here, I'm not confused about gender because he has spoken. And I understand what he said because I'm with him in relationship. Now it's just for me to live that out. Okay, there might be challenges in living it out. But now I can live it. Now I'm not confused because I'm looking at it from a worldly perspective. I'm looking at it from a heavenly perspective in relationship with God. And so just about any, everything we face in life, God has already spoken. It's, it's clear. We're going to look at, at, at some of this in early in the new year. What God has already spoken, and when he has spoken it, what he does is he settles the confusion. And he says, this is my purpose for you. This is how I have made you. This is how I have done it. And so that settles that completely. No more turmoil in my heart. All I need to do now is say, Lord, help me now. So help me, Spirit. Help me love where there's no love. Thanks so much. Because once we've been on that journey and once we understand that this is the process that God has got for us when we climb on that ship, when we give our, names to, our lives to Jesus Christ, we give our lives to him and we start to live in a new kingdom. We start to live in a new way. And so now we're on the ship. Now we're on the ship together. And we're on our way to heaven. We're all going to go. I don't think I, we might not come back before then. But I'm going to live as if I'm never going to die. And I'm going to live as if I'm going to die tomorrow. You know what I'm saying? I want to I want to live with everything short of dying. But I want to live as if I want to satisfy him for generations to come. Please him for generations to come. And so we're going to die. Sad. But it's the truth. Anybody will tell you my father's died already. My mom has died. My Uncles and aunts have all died, and <laughs> more to go. And unfortunately, we're going to die. But there's joy in death. There's joy in death. 
Where is the sting of death? It's been taken care of by Jesus Christ because he has overcome death. So the sting of death is no more. 1 Corinthians 15 says this. It says, it will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye. Remember, this is the destination. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to life forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. So we'll get new bodies. Some of us might be happy about that. No virgin actors up there. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? And he's saying, where's it? Come on, show me. Where's your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. He's saying, if you, the sting of death, in other words, take sin out of it, it's got no sting. Then it's a joy. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Christ Jesus. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. This is so encouraging to know that we have victory here while we're here. That he's, that he's, he's taking note of everything. That he's got our backs. He's got our lives. He's got us when we come. It's not that he wants to make everything just hunky-dory for us. Of the 12 apostles, 11 were murdered for their faith. My, one of my forefathers was martyred for his faith. This is John Luther Jr. was martyred for his faith. And so it's not that Everything is hunky-dory. It's going to be like an Elijah's prophet. And we're going to be with him. Death has got no sting. The only sting it's got is outside of Jesus Christ with our boarding pass in hand. That should, that should stir us. That should drive us. And so I want to ask, I want to leave us with this. Are you looking forward to making your destination? You got your boarding pass. You got your boarding pass. Father, I want to thank you that we can be on this wonderful journey of life with you. Thank you, Lord, that the example of the Titanic, but Lord, even much more of a disaster will be people who die without knowing you, without having the opportunity to confess their sin, to repent, and to follow you. So, Father, I want to pray that you would help us gather people for that journey. That you would help us, Father, gather people for boarding passes, to give them boarding passes for that journey in Jesus' name. Help us during this time, during this time that we're going to see lots of friends and family. Father, help us to represent you well to them. Help us, Father, love them. Help us, Father, 
be you to them in a very real way. And Father, help us as well to witness to them of your goodness and your kindness. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Anybody need prayer? We're going to we'll pray beside. So.